what transition has meant for me is like uh, is is a fundamental altering of who I am to other people, and I feel now like I feel like I have my own orbit, <laughs> you know. Whereas before it was just very floaty, and if you pushed against me, I think I would just move because I didn't have a place to stand, and now I do. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 184. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a powerful interview with Jamie. Yeah, normally we tend to like give a brief intro to who our guests are, but in this case... Uh, Jamie introduces themselves way better than we ever could. And so we, and it's very early, like within minutes, minute of the interview. So we're going to, we're going to just defer and just say, this is uh, a really great interview about overcoming adversity and very difficult situations. And it really takes a look at the different types of relationships that we form in our lives and that they don't have to fit into any type of mold. And so just very grateful to Jamie and Jamie's partner, Jarrett, for reaching out and uh, sharing their story and just being here. And yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, and also, happy birthday. Yeah, it's Jamie's birthday today. <laughs> We've been putting off this interview, publishing this interview for a couple of extra weeks so it could be a birthday present. Yeah. So happy birthday, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And one more quick note on this interview. Uh, afterwards, Jamie sent over a list of resources, different authors and media. Indigenous authors. Indigenous authors and media that have been super impactful. And uh, we have a list of them in the show notes. So if you want to check out the show notes for this show or any episode, uh, head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player just scroll down and there's a direct link that will take you straight to the show notes for this episode and everything that Jamie talks about and more. Yes. And when you go to the show notes page, just scroll down a little bit. You'll see all of the resources about halfway down the page. So you can't miss them. And please go check them out. We've been looking at them since they sent them. And it's just, I just can't encourage you enough. Please go check them out. It's amazing. Before we jump into the show, as usual, we have our announcements. Uh, first up, our next virtual meet and greet is June 23rd. That is a Wednesday night from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. So it's only $10 to sign up. It's open to everybody. Open to everyone. Yes. To go sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the meet and greet tab. These are super fun, and they're a great way to meet a lot of people in the non-monogamy and open-minded space. So they're low pressure and just come and just chat. It's fun. Yeah. The other thing we wanted to throw out was a couple of dates for our Patreon group. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about Patreon, but if you're looking for community around non-monogamy, maybe you're just getting into it and you want to meet other people. And uh, this is sort of an ongoing thing, uh, unlike the meet and greet, which just kind of happens once a month. Anyway, uh, we've got a couple of things coming up. Uh, tonight is the women's call. Uh, That's June 9th. June 9th. Yep. 
And actually, you just missed the men's call. It was on Monday, but there'll be another one in July. And then our monthly Q&A, we do two of them. Um, uh, it'll be tomorrow at six, or I'm sorry, tomorrow at nine o'clock Eastern and again at nine o'clock Pacific. So we do. That's June 10th. June 10th. And if you miss any of those, uh, you can, we'll have them in July again. So don't worry about that. Also, go to our website, normalizingnominomy.com. I can't say it enough. And you can click on the Patreon tab and found, find details, all the details you want about Patreon. Yeah. And uh, while we're here talking about Patreon, just a huge shout out and thank you to everybody who has made that community uh, so amazing. There's over 160 of you, and we can't thank you enough for your support and for just being awesome people. You've supported us, not not even just financially, but just in our own journey, and we've watched you all support each other. So thank you for that. Yes. And one thing I just realized, too, we're already into our second episode in June, and we forgot to say happy Pride. Yeah. It's Pride Month, so we're super excited about that and hope that all of you can get involved in some different events this month, and we will, too. Yeah. One final thing before we jump into the conversation with Jamie is we wanted to remind everybody that if you are starting to get back out in the world, you're vaccinated, uh, the world is opening up, and you're starting to meet people, uh, please, please, please get tested for STIs, know your status, share your status, talk about it with people, and help promote uh, healthy practices there. The way that we like to do this is a service called stdcheck.com. We've used it for years. We absolutely love it. It's simple, it's low cost, it's fast, it's discreet. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> and if you head over to our website, normalizingamonogamy.com, click on the resources tab, or if you go to any of the show notes, there are links there. Uh, using those links will help support the show and you save $10, bringing the total cost of a 10 panel test down to, I believe, $130, which is super cheap. Uh, one other quick thing on this. If you have used the service in the past, we would absolutely love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how it went. And if you go to our website and click on the contact us button and leave us a voicemail that you will allow us to use as sort of a, a testimonial here at the beginning of the show or at the end of the show to let other people know uh, that that you used it and that you loved it and it works great, all of the things, uh, we will send you a code to get into the next meet and greet for free or one of the meet and greets for free. It doesn't have to be the next one. So it'll get you an extra $10 and a huge hug from Emma and myself the next time we see you yes. in the real world. Yes. Woohoo. So if that sounds like you, uh, again, head over to our website, send us a voicemail, let us know what you thought. Uh, and you can do that about anything. It doesn't have to be about the STD testing. No, it does not. We would love to hear from any of you. So now, All right. with that, yeah. let's go talk to Jamie. And happy birthday, Jamie. Happy birthday. Welcome, Jamie, to the show. We are so excited to talk to you this morning. And we like, wanted to like, dive right in. I know that we know a little bit about you because we've emailed with you and we've met you in the community. But we've you've been in some meet and greets. Right. You've been in the men's group and the women's group. And you're, yeah, it's so excited to like be able to talk a little bit more. So we're really happy to have you here. It's exciting. I'm excited, too. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're excited. So for the listeners and the people that don't know you, do you mind doing a quick introduction of who you are? Yeah. Um, so I'm Jamie. Um, I'm um, in a, a very unique uh, partnership with someone who isn't part of this interview, um, uh, but who consents to um, being spoken of in, in <laughs> general terms and by name. Um, 
so I am, uh, I was uh, assigned female at birth and transitioned about two years ago and now identify as non-binary. Um, so I sometimes kind of joke that my pronouns are he, they, and sometimes she. <laughs> um, I, I feel very comfortable in both uh, genders. Um, I'm also a mixed Anishinaabe. Um, so my mom's family are uh, Algonquin. Um, and uh, I, I fit a bunch of labels um, that I like to put out there as... Um, I guess just kind of representative, but I think of them more as conversation starters <laughs> and sort of like small ideas of convenience. Um, so I'm autistic. I'm on the spectrum um, of autism and, uh, and I quite enjoy that and I love it very much and uh, I've come to peace with it. <clears throat> um, I also have other disabilities. So I identify as mul multiply disabled. Um, what else? Oh, um, <laughs> it's so I'm I'm a stroke survivor and uh my um partner uh Jarrett is also a head injury survivor. Um so that kind of sort of structures the uniqueness of our lives. Um disability has a lot to do with our uh day-to-day -day lives. Um and uh I feel like there's something I'm missing. Oh. <laughs> Um, I, so one, I didn't, I didn't know sort of how much I wanted to like talk about my, um, like younger years or anything like that, because it's just, it's been something that's been on a lot on my mind as far as sort of how it's sort of how it's shaped my everyday life now. Um, but I did kind of want to also put out there that, um, I'm, I'm, uh, someone who was formerly homeless for actually, uh, four years on and off. Um, and have a lot of lived experience uh, with poverty. Um, that's something that I don't hear uh, a lot of people talk about in in the mainstream of polyamory. Um, I think sometimes it's something that um, I feel like is a little bit stigmatized that people feel like we it's it's uncomfortable because you have to go out and do things and be part of things that require money. <laughs> um, and if you're right. somebody who has that lived experience of poverty, you I, I tend to think of money differently, and I also don't have the same access as uh, many people uh, might. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think that's a fantastic introduction and gives us a, a, just a peek into who you are. So. Yeah, and I think you touched on there that you, you and your partner have been exploring or are exploring polyamory, and I. I maybe wanted to, if if you're okay with it, like take a minute to understand a little better before we maybe even for us to help navigate the interview better, like understanding the the multi disabled piece and like how that really weaves into your and and Jarrett's sort of day to day. Yeah. Um. So. So I was born autistic. So I was born with a disability. Uh, that I that I proudly identify. I understand um, that there is a kind of a stigma even around the word disability. Um, I like to own it and claim it proudly, and uh, I feel okay with saying that I'm a disabled person. Um, and uh, but it's and and Jarrett's disability happened later in life, um, as did mine as a stroke survivor. But uh, because I had a prior experience of disability. 
I didn't know I was autistic. I was only diagnosed in 2013. So I didn't know that sort of for sort of my whole life. But I always had the experience of being different. I knew I was not normal. <laughs> I think everybody else knew that in a way. Um, but I really started to realize that as I kind of got into my teenage years. And I always kind of marched to the beat of my own drummer. Um, my mom used to say when I was a kid, that all the kids would be over here playing and then little, um, you know, little Jamie, <laughs> known by a female name, um, she would be over here. Uh, and, and then when the kids kind of went over there, I would, I would, you know, be elsewhere because I always felt extraordinarily overwhelmed in crowds um, and was never able to quite fit in um, and felt really bad about that. Um, oh, that's the thing I forgot as far as the label as well. Um, so I also am someone who grew up in the in a fundamentalist evangelical church, um, and so that <laughs> is is something I've heard other people talk about um, on your podcast, and just found so much, so many commonalities, and that was really cool. Um, but as far as uh, disability, I found it's a different experience to have grown up understanding yourself as a person with a disability uh, than it is to kind of think that you're normal your whole life um, and then and then and be suddenly incapacitated in a way that you have to you have to get used to um, and so we've lent uh, different strengths to each other in terms of our disability journeys in that way if that makes sense yeah um, no it's amazing and and thank you um, for yeah going into that a little more and I think like at what at what point did you and Jared then like you have this commonality and at what point do you two start to think about like maybe our relationship is something else that's going to be a little bit different like how we do that um i think it would make sense if i kind of explained a little bit about uh how we met and the circumstances mm -hmm. of that because that informs the structure of our relationship as well um, so I had gotten out of, uh, my, f uh, first relationship ever, uh, with someone that I'll call, uh, V. Um, and I was 27 before I ever dated. Uh, I'd never held hands with someone. I certainly had never had sex. Um, and it was a, a complicated relationship, but it was really good in some ways. And I was really grieving the end of that relationship. And, uh, there was this guy uh, that I kind of knew of um, in sort of our like circle sort of community. Um, so Jared and I met through uh, mutual friends, my friend and his cousin. Um, and <laughs> I was, we have this coffee chain called Tim Hortons that also plays a big deal in our relationship. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we are so familiar was, with Tim Hortons. <laughs> yay. <laughs> So I was sitting in Tim Hortons getting away from my house because there was a friend living there with, with five kids, which was great, but it was it was a lot. Um, and so I was sitting there trying to write, and in walks this guy and his friend, and they come and they just sit right at my, my table, um, and and he just starts talking about this crazy story about he was, you know, he was in the, in the bush when he was a kid, and there was this house, and it was abandoned, and there was a tree came over, and he jumped off the tree, and then there was this thing they kicked, and it was just, I was like, why is this person telling me this crazy story? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. And it was like, and I later learned that this is part of Jarrett, <laughs> um, 
it was like a half an hour story. And at the end of it, he just kind of, he just kind of turned to me and he was like, do you want to go out this weekend? <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, I, I got to go visit my mom or, <laughs> or something. And guy leans over and in my notebook, um, he writes his phone number. And I still tease him about that because I'm like, that was a, that was a suave move there, you know? And so I was like, okay, who is this person? I've, I have noticed them. I talked to my friend about him and she was like, cause I'd gotten out of this relationship in, in which I had really been pressuring that person to be in a long-term relationship. Um, because I, I didn't understand <laughs> that dating was something that you could do and it didn't, lead to it didn't have to lead to a long-term relationship um having grown up in the church um where you don't do things if they don't lead to that and that is the ultimate stability and security and so i was really looking for security and stability that i didn't feel i had within myself um i couldn't have said that at the time i just acted in really shitty ways um, to somebody who didn't deserve to be treated that way. And um, I carried that into uh, th that period between uh, V and Jarrett and did a lot of healing in the interim so that when I got with Jarrett, I was, I was ready for something different. I didn't know about polyamory, didn't know about non-monogamy, but I knew I didn't, I didn't want that. <laughs> you know, like I had this ex extreme jealousy and possessiveness and I, I i knew i didn't want that um so Jarrett and i started dating sort of in and about september of 2011 i didn't have a car and so <laughs> um he lived on reserve i lived in town and and uh that's quite a distance i wasn't gonna walk and um I used to go to the payphone near the convenience store. It was it was cold by the, by then, and I would I would I would dress up in my little hood and my boots and stuff. And I think I really liked wearing skirts at the time. <laughs> and I would stand there at the payphone talking with him, and until my feet got really cold, and then I'd be like, "Okay, I gotta go," and then I'd go home and walk home to to my house. <laughs> so so it was fun, and uh, our first date was at Tim Hortons. Again, the same Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had my car back by then, which I was really excited about. But it wouldn't, if you stopped it, it wouldn't start again. And so I had it parked in the parking lot and it was running. Um, <laughs> and so I was, I was sitting here, so I was watching it going. So like no one ran away with it, right? And, and, he, and he was, he, he really... Um, he really, he really opened up on that first date, and that was new to me. I had not had an experience where, where somebody had really done that, particularly a man. And um, he was so emotionally vulnerable. He laid out his whole story. He, you know, um, told me about like previous relationships and where he was at now and the kind of healing that he'd done and stuff. And he actually, um, like, he started crying. <laughs> in in tim hortons and and i was like my first thought was like like i've got to up my emotion game like i have to up my game here like this this person is being really emotional emotionally vulnerable like you better fucking show up <laughs> and uh 
And so I, I sensed that there was something really wonderful and special about Jarrett from the moment that I met him. And we are both nerds, um, both very quirky people, and have both, in our own kind of very different ways, although we've had very different upbringings, have been outsiders to the places that we've uh, been part of in, 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 in interesting ways. And so we bonded intellectually um, as having kind of that shared experience. And I think we also had uh, a lot of shared values, um, particularly around um, belonging and, and, uh, and uh, indigeneity, I guess you could say. So that was in about September. Um, so Jarrett, uh, New Year's uh, 2011, 2012. Uh, Jarrett went out for, um, you know, like a, a night with the guys and I hate crowds as we've established <laughs> and I, I don't, I never go out to new year's ever. I don't go out to things like that. I, f I feel I don't, I don't like them. Um, and so I stayed home. Uh, and, uh, that new year's Eve, um, Jarrett was attacked when he was at a bar. Um, and he sustained a, uh, a severe brain injury. And I called him, I think it was probably at midnight and he didn't answer the phone. And it's funny because looking back at that now, if that ever happened now, I would be in my car looking for him. Like I would have a very different reaction, but I didn't know him well enough to know that that wasn't normal. And so didn't hear from him and and his phone was off and so the next morning I I don't know how I must have driven there or something but I went over to his house and uh and he was in really bad shape um so whatever had happened he doesn't remember I mean he doesn't remember 10 days after that night and his eye um, was so badly damaged that the pupil actually, um, like, was torn. And uh, you could see when you looked in his eyes, and his left, I think it's his left eye, it, it looked like a little black flag that was fluttering. And so... I knew he had to go to the hospital, but he didn't, um, he didn't, he, because I guess because of what had happened, he, he just wasn't able to sort of decide to do that. And so eventually we got, I got him to the ER, uh, and he went right to like, a, an eye surgeon, but it was about two years before he actually was able to get surgery on that eye. Um, and in the meantime, the damage to his eye was so severe that he actually developed cataracts because your pupil is supposed to um, keep out light. And if it doesn't, uh, that UV damage will cause uh, cataracts. Mm -hmm. I don't know, medically, whatever, but mm -hmm. that's what we were told. Um, and so he was like in debilitating pain during that time. And our relationship uh, like 
at, at that point after he was injured, I don't think I had a sense of how severe it was. And like we had only been dating, I think we had maybe gone on like two or three dates. So we didn't know each other well. I didn't know him that well. <laughs> but um, so I moved in um, to look after him. And uh, our lives became about that for a long time until he had surgery in 2015. Um, we moved in with his mom, which was an adventure <laughs> uh, and, is, and isn't something I'll necessarily get into. But for many reasons, I don't recommend living with your mom-in-law if you can avoid it. It, it was an adventure. Especially after only knowing someone for not that long. <laughs> yeah. Like I knew of him, but didn't know right. him well. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think adventure <laughs> is one of the most diplomatic ways to de- <laughs> that you could have described that. So well, yeah. well played. <laughs> um, yes. So, so our relationship was uh, primarily um, me looking after Jared. Um, and the thing is, and I've heard this from other uh, people who are spouses of, of head injury survivors, is despite the fact that he had an eye injury, um, which is, you know, by definition on your head, um, they never diagnosed him with a head injury. And so we didn't have a name or an understanding for what was going on until 2019 is when Jarrett was diagnosed. Yeah. So it was eight years later. Yeah. My math is bad. I think it's about eight years. Yes. Yep. So there was a long time of him not knowing what the hell was going on and me also not knowing what the hell was going on. And so we struggled a lot with that without having any language or name for it, which made things a lot more difficult and ended up causing more resentment and misunderstanding than it ever really needed to. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Jarrett's, uh, Jarrett's mom, uh, who we lived with, um, she was diagnosed with cancer the same year that he had his surgery. So he had a surgery in April. She was diagnosed in the fall. And she passed away uh, in 2016. Um, and we looked after her until, until her passing together mm-hmm. and, uh, with, with, with help from, from, uh, family. Um, and then I went to graduate school in September <laughs> of that year and that program was nuts and intense. And I graduated from that in 2018 and then transitioned 2019. So one kind of thing that has also structured our relationship or we've had a lot of communication we certainly talk a lot and have an open line of communication. We have had to because of all of the things that we have been through and also because of the way that our relationship um, is just so different. I didn't know Jared before he had a head injury. So I don't have a lot of people who are spouses of head injury survivors have an idea of who this person was for like 20 years before this happened. And then there was a big shift and they have to get used to that new person. He did that because he knew who he was before 
And then he knew who he was after in a sort of progressive healing kind of way. I didn't know who he was before. And so later I have learned through people that know and love him who the he calls the old Jarrett was. But to me, he's always been the new Jarrett. Um, and that's the Jarrett that I know and love. So, so yeah. Yeah, and I think you're, to your point, though, that like your maybe your relationship and the, the life that you two have lived together hasn't it wasn't like we went on a couple of dates and then we've just, you know, it's just been roses ever since then. Like you two have lived a lot of experiences together that I yeah. mean, to be honest, like they're difficult, but they those types of experiences really bind two people together. Yep. Yep. Um, and they also like if if. If we didn't communicate, I don't think we would have made it. Um, and also transition. <laughs> like, that's a thing that, that also happened. I also transitioned genders, which, you know, apparently has an impact on relationships as well. But uh, it's kind of a small deal in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> as you talked about. It was like, well, it was sort of anticlimactic. Um, Jared's, Jared's mom was also trans, um, and his family... Uh, here um, who are amazing and wonderful people that I, I feel incredibly privileged and honored to belong to uh, as a, as a, as a, a family member through Jared. <laughs> um, and they have told me they love me in my own right. And I'm, I'm working to believe that um, they uh, are extraordinarily accepting of transness because I'm um, anticlimactically the third person <laughs> to come out as trans in their family. So by now it's just like, oh yeah, like what's one, uh, my cousin's partner, apparently she told him and he was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. And I was like, oh, but no, it was a big deal to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't I know gonna... all this time. Everybody else did. And they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I was I mean, like, I was... Come on, it took me that long to figure it out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious about that because like, <laughs> That is a huge deal, right? But like you said, in the scheme of all of these other things, like it almost got downplayed. And I guess I was just curious, like how, how that was, because like, this is like one of the biggest things you personally could go through. Yeah. And I transition, this is going to sound weird and, and, uh, and it is. Um, but transition for me didn't have a lot to do with gender. Um, maybe it's because I'm non-binary. And for me, it was, I kind of identify previously as sort of exclusively female. And it's not that I don't now also identify as female. Um, and this is very much for me personally and is not for all trans people. It is my own experience. And I think I have a feeling it has a lot to do with also identifying as non-binary rather than a trans man or a trans guy, because trans men are men. Um, trans women are women. No one needs mm -hmm. to say this in 2021, but there it is. <laughs> and so uh, for me, it was not as much to do with gender as it was for the first time in my life, I had to put myself at the center of a very major life decision. And uh, a friend of mine, she said, she said the other day, she goes, um, she's a Christian. We still have a good relationship. 
and she said, how come trans people can't change their names to be really similar to their previous names? Like it would just make things easier for everybody around them. And I had to be like, "Mm." (laughs) and I was like, because it's, because if we lived our lives that way, um, not just trans people, but anybody like you have to be at the center of your decision-making. You can't make decisions based on what's easier for everybody else around you. You can, but you'll have a certain kind of life, and that's the life that I had previous to transitioning. And it had to be nobody's decision but my own. And I don't know that I had ever made a decision in my life before that was not structured around everybody else's needs but mine. And I've been trained that way as somebody who socialized as female my entire life to put everybody else's needs first. And so what transition meant for me was that I had made a decision that I was going to make this decision on the basis of what I needed and wanted and felt very internally to myself. And that changed my relationships, Um, not just with Jarrett, but with everybody else. I was in some very abusive friendships that ended because all of a sudden I was standing up for myself. Because prior to knowing who I was in terms of in terms of my own identity and, and presentation to the world and internal felt sense of self, it felt like I was always on kind of shifting ground and that I didn't have the right to sort of defend my own kind of physical bodily territory because I didn't know what that was and I didn't feel confident in it. And when I had that, all of a sudden I felt so much more able to say no to things that I didn't want um, because I had said yes to something that I knew that I needed. And, and that will fundamentally change who you are in relationships. I, I didn't see that prior to transitioning, but that's what happened. And so what transition has meant for me is like, uh, is, is a fundamental altering of who I am to other people. And I feel now like, I feel like I have my own orbit, <laughs> you know, whereas before it was just very floaty. And if you pushed against me, I think I would just move because I didn't have a place to stand. And now I do. So I don't know if that really, I don't know if that answers, I don't know if that answers the question, but. No, I mean, it it, it did because I think what I take away from that is like, while it maybe got downplayed in terms of like other people looking and saying like, oh, it's not a big deal. For you, it did, it restructured your entire, like, solar system of of life. Like (laughs) you, and the way, the way you view life. Yeah. Like you, you now, like, even though maybe other people said like, oh, no big deal. Like we always kind of knew that, or we thought that it's not a big deal. Welcome for you. There was a massive shift internally. And I think that that's really powerful. Yeah. 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 Having said that. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, I think my life and Jarrett's life as well, and particularly, uh, we don't actually define ourselves uh, as a couple, or I don't at this point. And we actually made the decision to, I don't know if separate is the right word. <laughs> we don't really have a definition for the kind of relationship, um, um, but we don't have a, a sexual or romantic relationship. Um, he was talking last night and we were talking about it and we were like, he's like, well, I, cause I said, Jared, do you think there's an indigenous polyamory? And so we were talking about that 
And, and uh, we have fantastic conversations about things like that. And I really love it. That is a, a big thing. Um, and I, I just, I love having conversations with Jared. And as it came up, he kind of goes, well, you know, like I, there's, I always sort of had this idea of like friends with benefits. And I was like, I'm always on the hunt for what label we might be able to fit into, even though my wonderful um, auntie is always like, why do you need a label for anything? She's fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> auntie, auntie Marilyn. And uh, mm-hmm. she uh, has, you know, had, um, she's amazing. Anyways, I, I won't, I won't go down that, but she's incredible. You know, she's always like, why do you need a label for anything? Why do you got to be just be yourself? And, and so, um, Jared says, well, I had like friends with benefits and I was like, oh, maybe that's our label. And, but, but except we don't have sexual benefits. I was like, I think maybe I'm like a friend with administrative benefits. <laughs> I'm very organized. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and, uh, I was, a I was a secretary in a former life. And so like, I wasn't, but, um, <laughs> so a lot of what I do is sort of organizational and, and I, and I love that. So we've sort of thought about like companion or I think f- friends is too little, but partners is accurate, but there's, there's assumptions that people bring into a partnership that mm-hmm. don't fit the reality of who we are. Uh, and it does kind of feel like that's tricky um i i am Jarrett's uh caregiver um but that's also not all that it is um right. yeah and oh i forgot a really fundamental piece of this <laughs> on that <laughs> first date at tim hortons um like i had said i think before that i knew that i didn't want to do what i had done before but i didn't have a name for it but i did um I had met this mechanic at Jiffy Lube and she was really amazing and made me speechless. And I was like, I think I might be gay. And, but Jared's not a woman. So what am I going to do? And, and so I, I didn't have any language for it really, but I was like, I was like, I think we could maybe just not be like exclusive. Um, and, and I don't think I'm very good at this thing that, people are calling like marriage and monogamy. Like I actually don't think I'm very good at that. Um, and, and so I was like, maybe we could just kind of be the best parts of being single while also being in a relationship. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Let's do that. So, so, and so, so we were non-monogamous almost, yeah. from the first date. Yeah. I was going to say that was almost like you had the writing on the wall of, of non-monogamy and like, it sounds like you've come obviously so far since then, but it was from day one almost at least yeah, having it was. some of that added mentality. Yeah. And I never ended up dating the Jiffy Lube lady, but um, <laughs> like we didn't have time to have conversations about non-monogamy because, or even, or even to date other people, we didn't even have time to or space to really have a relationship with each other. Like we were also living in the house with this mom in a small house. So there was not a lot of, there wasn't a lot of space to be, to figure each other out. And there was a lot of external pressures that were happening at the same time. And so it's only been in the last two years that we've been able to kind of figure out who we really are um, in ourselves and to each other. And, and a couple doesn't fit the definition of how, uh, how we really kind of are in each other's orbits <laughs> as it turns out. Mm-hmm. But 
having said that, um, the fact that we came into this relationship with an understanding um, that we were not going to be monogamous made that whole journey a lot easier because it meant that we didn't ever have to fit necessarily. We had never on each other put the expectation that we were just going to be with each other and we were going to be each other's everything. Yeah. And so like that made, that made a lot of things easier, particularly in the last two years when we've moved away from, from trying to be a couple because it doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship has to end just because it doesn't tick all of the boxes. And so I think it gave us the mental freedom to be able to decide what we were going to do and how we were going to relate to each other in a way that would have felt much more difficult in monogamy. Mm-hmm. Right. That you, you have to, it's, it's a lot more of a transition of like, we went from this to this, whereas you to just, like you said, you just kind of pick the best pieces that work for you and that time. And then that's what you do. Yeah. Other people often I find have a very difficult time. Um, when I have a hard time coming up with a clear label and definition of what and who we are to each other. And that has been interesting because I have found, cause I've started dating since the pandemic, not in person, but because that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> and, uh, and it is actually for an introvert. It's been great. Um, but I found that people who, who have the need to have a really clear label for my relationship with Jarrett, there's nothing wrong with that. But because of who I am as a person in terms of being kind of both and in a lot of ways, uh, and not really falling into any clear camps of male or female or or white or Anishinaabe or like I mixed I mixed in an outsider and yes and and between in a lot of in a lot of ways I'm even a Gemini <laughs> or maybe it's because I'm a, anyways so when people sort of feel like they need that it's an early indicator for me that this may not work um, because if you need that clear definition of of my relationship in to one person um, that at least in my experience with uh, people that I've dated like that, that may mean it's going to be difficult in other ways as well. Not that there's anything wrong with needing, needing a relationship definition. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, but, but maybe like that, that, that concern comes up because if they need that of you and Jarrett, that they're going to need that of you you and them me. yeah yeah and, yeah. and yeah. that may not be something you are able to offer them I and mean, it may be but it also may not be yeah how i guess how has i'm assuming and this is reading into this you can please correct me you haven't dated much until like the last year and obviously covid plays a role but how has it gone for you how has that adventure gone for you of meeting meeting new people? Um, I did actually date somebody during graduate school uh, very briefly, but because we were both in graduate school, we almost never saw each other. Um, It was like 12 or 14 hour days. And so, um, and um, uh, she since moved, um, moved away and we still keep in touch. Um, but, but sort of dating, like 
I had never gone out and and been like I'm going to find a person to date. Like that had never happened before. Um, I had met uh, a V through being part of a a shared community. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was who is a, your first partner? Like first relationship? I have an almost ex um, because we almost dated but I don't really count that. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. And, uh, and then there was, there was V. Um, and that was, uh, I was ethically non, nope. The other one, I was not ethically non-monogamous. Um, so I was the other woman uh, in that relationship mm-hmm. and uh, carried a lot of shame about that for a long time. <laughs> Cause. And that was, yeah, that, that- that was V. That was your first like official relationship. Like you said, you talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, right? Well, yeah, that was the, that was the first person um, that I had Uh ever had sex with or even I think held hands with certainly ever kissed. Um, But that was not an official relationship because um, yeah, it was because I was the, the cheaty. Right. And uh, yeah. So yeah, so I I brought a lot of shame into the relationship with uh, with Jarrett um, from from that experience, and part of that came from that shared community that we were part of. There was this there was this thing somebody told me that just it it was like one of those things that ran around in my head for years afterwards, and I was like I thought about it a lot yesterday, <laughs> and I I was kind of I think bemoaning to her like oh why doesn't he love me or some you know thing I was kind of on about at the time and she was like well why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free and I felt so hurt by that and I didn't understand why and I didn't understand but I felt like it was a real slam on on me and and I didn't but I couldn't understand why and like and that sentence floated around on my ears. Why buy the cow and you can get the milk for free? And I was just like, there was this thing that I sort of felt like I under I understood from that on a subconscious level that in order to you have to buy the cow. <laughs> it's all about buying cows. You have to be a bought cow. You can't be a not bought cow. You can't just have milk going all kinds of you know. It, like you have to give something up to be in a relationship, and that thing you have to give up is your selfhood. You have to somehow compromise yourself and you can't sort of just own your damn self and be in a relationship. You have to consent to being owned. You have to sort of I own being in a relationship means that you are either owned or you own somebody else. And, and I realized that going back to sort of my, my thoughts of what I didn't want to do in the relationship, any relationship going forward was feel like I was entitled to own somebody else or feel like I had to be owned. And growing up in the church definitely taught me that uh, I didn't own myself as a person. Um, I was I was owned by God, and then I was owned by my father, and I would be owned by my husband. And so, and so transitioning also meant that I had ownership over myself in terms of being able to make decisions. To, to answer your question um, about how dating has actually been going um, is that um, my purpose in dating was to learn how to say no to things that I didn't want. 
And being able to do that online during the pandemic has meant that I I would never I would never be cavalier about turning someone down. I always want to be kind. But I also have an extremely difficult time saying no. And the stakes are much lower when you haven't invested months of your uh, life into a relationship. And it, like, it was even hard for me to say no in really simple ways. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, my goal, like my goal in dating is to learn how to say no. So I'm going to say yes until the point when I feel like saying no, and then I'm going to say no. And that's my whole game in dating is just going to be like, I'm just going to learn how to say no in this really sort of low stakes kind of environment. And so, um, cause I knew, I, I knew I was going to make mistakes, uh, cause I didn't really know how to date or what I was doing. And so the first time I was talking with, with somebody online and we were chatting and he said something flirty and I was like, I don't think this is going to work. I think I have to go. And he was like, um, we've only been talking for like two days. And then I was like, yeah, I know. I'm really sorry. Thanks. Bye. You know, and that was it. But, <laughs> and then later I was like, okay, so the benchmark really is definitely more than two days. I wonder how long it extends in the other direction. So like, it was really a process of learning, like, what are the norms here? And like, as an autistic person, that's not immediately apparent to me. Also as a person that's never dated, that's also apparent not apparent to me. Also, as someone who grew up in the church, I'm completely on my own here. Like, I'm not following a man expecting to get married, you know, and, and he's going to be my Jesus. Like, I, whatever I'm doing, it's definitely not that. And as a non-binary and trans person, it's also kind of like, well, I guess you're making your own rules now. <laughs> you don't you don't get to follow anybody else's because you don't fit in any of these boxes. So you got to figure this out by your damn self. And um and so that's been an interesting experience because I, I have met some really wonderful people um, and, and actually made some really good friends and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and no sexy times have happened and that is okay um, because part of learning how to say no and learning how to say yes is sort of going at my own pace and I'm, I'm going at a pace I feel really comfortable with, which, which feels really good. It feels like good ground to kind of start on. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything you should, I know we got off a little on a tangent, but that's okay because I feel like the tangent that you got on kind of built what you ended up saying there with, mm -hmm. with how you've learned to say yes and no, but you gave some context and background for that. So <laughs> thank you for very much in depth answering my question. <laughs> I don't know how to not answer in depth. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that's, perfect. that's the it's whole perfect. point. I love it. And it, it sounds like you're, the community around you has been super supportive of everything in terms of like your relationship style with Jarrett transitioning, just who you are as a human. And I think that's amazing. And I'm just, I guess I'm curious, like as somebody who doesn't know a lot about like Algonquin culture, is that like, is what you're doing and sort of how you and Jarrett move through life and relationships is that common or is that like commonly accepted sort of way to do things? Um, I didn't think so. And then I started having honest conversations with people around me and found out a lot of us do this and maybe feel bad about it or don't call it polyamory or non-monogamy or just don't call it a thing. Um, and, and again, I can only speak for myself and Jared, and we are certainly outliers <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, 
but I was surprised in, I tend to be somebody who sometimes or often isn't afraid to ask really honest questions of people. Um, and partly that's being autistic and partly I say it's being autistic, but I know it's slightly inappropriate, but I'm curious <laughs> and, and I really want to have honest relationships. And that starts with asking honest questions and also certainly being honest myself. Um, Jared and I have the privilege of being out. Uh, we don't have jobs that uh, we could be fired from if somebody sort of dis. Can you hear the dog snoring in the background? It's, it's <laughs> no, all good. It's all good. <laughs> She's so loud. <laughs> Jared and I have the privilege of being out in terms of. Yeah, not having a job. Um, he does have kids. Um, we don't have kids together. Um, but his kids are very open-minded people and, uh, as is his family. So we talked after having listened to your show for a long time, uh, we talked about, you know, would you ever want to be on this show and, or would I, and would you, and, uh, and there aren't a lot of people that I can think of who are out and non-monogamous. There's actually one person that I can think of who's out in 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 her non-monogamy and that's kim Talbear, who i look up to um a lot she's a scholar um and somebody who's done a lot of work um in terms of, of non-monogamy um she's written a an amazing um book um she does this uh, TP confessions, uh, which are performances, which are not happening because of COVID. <laughs> but she's also wrote a book called Native American Belonging. Um, and she's Sisaton uh, Wapaton Oyate. And a lot of people that I've talked to, uh, even in dating other other Indigenous folks or in talking with them, uh, have definitely heard of Kim Talbear and, and a lot of people who are non-Indigenous have as well. I think her scholarship is amazing. Um, and... Uh, and I also wish there were a lot more of us um, um, whose stories were being told um, and who were able to kind of tell our stories. Um, but Jared and I specifically decided that it was important for us to be honest about this because we could, um, even though we might be real weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> and real just ordinary, non-famous, like, you know, weirdos. Um, and that may, and that maybe there was a part of that that was kind of important in and of itself as well. Um, yeah, I agree. It's that I think is one of the most, if not the most important part of what we do is like, yeah, we have other people who are podcasters and write books and all of these things, but like at the core, like they're just regular weirdos too, who decided to write a book or decided yep. to turn on a podcast microphone one day. And so just like, like us, we're regular weirdos. Yeah, too. Like, <laughs> so I think having, you know, people like you and Jarrett out there sharing your stories and showing other people that like, yeah, you don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to be doing something public other than just being yourself is, yes. is really important. So it's huge. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of ways that normative heteronormativity uh, and sort of the normalizing of a certain kind of monogamy has been, and I guess sort of similar to Jared and I in terms of it was difficult for us to define our relationship because all of these external pressures were making it so difficult to even have the conversation. 
And I don't think that that is outside of the dynamics of colonialism. <laughs> I think that that is true on a larger level for a lot of people. Um, monogamy and particularly like marriage between a man and a woman was something that was put on us. And as was, um, as was necessarily as though it was a norm that people were uh, straight or cisgendered. And so those are external pressures that are kind of weighing on us. And so a part of decolonization is thinking in our own ways about all of our relations and not having to think about them in this very strict definition. And some people may call that polyamory or non-monogamy, but some people may just be doing it and living it. And I think the important message is that we don't have to feel bad about that and that there's a lot of ways to love people and to be loved by people and they don't have to fit into a box. Mm-hmm. And it's possible to have normal, it's not normal, it's never possible to be normal. It's possible to have multiple loving and healthy relationships without it being cheating. Um, it can be above board and there's nothing inherently wrong or shameful about that, about having multiple relationships with multiple people. Right. Yeah. Well, wow. You, you have said so many just incredibly beautiful things. And I did have one topic that I wanted to come back to and ask you a little bit more about, unless you did you follow up there. Um, if you'd be willing to talk to a little bit about, uh, talk to us a little bit about it, you know, at the very beginning, you said that you do have experience being homeless. And um, that's not something that, as you said, too, like it come it doesn't come up as often in the non-monogamy community. However, it is, uh, you know, poverty and thinking of the way you think about money. And that is a very big part of life. And so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how that has shaped um, who you are and how you approach non-monogamy. Hmm. That's a That's big question. That's a question I prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to be off the cuff. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so as an example, <laughs> we have a squirrel problem in our house. We have a very bad electrical system, and it's partly because of squirrels. And so I actually need to pause for a minute because... <laughs> This is so weird um, because there's a squirrel scratching on the ceiling and I have to go bang the ceiling with a broom to make it be quiet. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. give me a second. <laughs> okay, you're good. Fucking <laughs> <Booking> squirrels. <laughs> I was like, speaking of poverty, hey, shut up. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I don't know if you want to keep that in. <laughs> that will that will stay in because that was perfect. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> that was such an amazing timing of that. <laughs> Jarrett will in the morning and stuff. Sometimes they're being like, because he's lived in apartments his whole life, and so he'll pretend that they're they're like our upstairs neighbors, and they're they're fucking crazy like they'll roll walnuts across the ceiling and you can hear them like pushing the little walnuts they'll get in fights 
And then one of them will go cry in the corner and the other ones will like take over. They have their whole drama. They're better than neighbors, but uh, <laughs> part of poverty is living in uh, is is living in substandard housing, which I guess as much as we love this house is um is a bit is as quirky as we are how <laughs> you deal with squirrels as neighbors <laughs> yeah yeah which is like it's it's funny and i laugh about it but it's also like it's a serious fire hazard and uh we're um going to be raising money for uh for redoing our electrical system um because we are constantly at risk of the house burning down um, because uh, I've done some renovations on on the on our upstairs, and it it when I saw the state of the wiring, it was phenomenal to me that we have not had a fire. Um, and it's so it's it's scary, and I wonder sometimes what I will do with my brain when I don't have the constant pressure of wondering, like um, you know, are are our lives at risk as we sleep and stuff? Um, and and on reserve, we don't have. Um, there's no there's no insurance for housing at least not certainly not for our house and so if if your house burns down that's it you're just uh you just don't have a house <laughs> uh yeah so i think i th- that has a lot to do with answering your question in a way because i remember i remember when i was when i was homeless i i didn't think of myself as homeless because i was living in my car and so by because i by literal strict definition, I was like, I'm not homeless. I have a car. I sleep there every night. It's fine. Uh, and nobody ever knew I was homeless. Um, I kept my car extremely clean. Well, I think pre- people probably knew. I probably told myself they didn't know. Um, I was never more immaculately um, clean and dressed, and my car was never cleaner than when I slept in it. Um, and uh, uh, also lived at a tent in a tent at, at one point, and that was pretty scary because um, there was. Uh, there was somebody who was um, uh, murdered, um, and there um, it was about fifty feet away from uh, my tent. I wasn't there sleeping in it at the time, but um, that's where um, her her body was found uh, in the town that I grew up in. So I feel extremely lucky uh, in a lot of ways uh, that I I am emerged from that relatively okay. Um, we're still poor. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, I listened to Kevin Patterson's, I re-listened to Kevin Patterson's um, interview. It was episode 45, I think. And just, I just, both of us, um, I recommended to Jared and he was like, oh, I really like that guy. And I was like, I know, right? You just want to sit down and have a conversation with him. And, and everything he said was just so bang on for, I felt like for, for my experience and for his experience in that, um, I think you had asked the question, like, what can we do to make our spaces more, uh, like, accessible to people of many different experiences? Um, and and he was like, there are so many things that go into planning an event. Uh, is what Kevin Patterson was saying. Kevin Patterson. I'll just say is Kevin Patterson. Kevin was saying <laughs> um, in that, like, you have to think about all of the different, like, what neighborhood is it in, he was saying, and... Um, and you know what's the cost and stuff like that. And so, as somebody, if you don't have money, you don't have as much choice. And you have to kind of configure your life in such a way that you can keep your your you in order to meet your basic needs. 
and anything that comes in on top of that, you sort of have to manipulate around it and work around it and reconfigure anything. And so there's this constant brain work you're doing <clears throat> that is is based around your own survival and wanting to have as much choice as possible while not really being able to. And it's a lot of it's a lot of mental effort that other people don't see, <laughs> um, but that I think people who do have a lived experience of poverty understand in a way that is very difficult for somebody who hasn't to get it. And that structures everything about how I am in the world. Um, and what's weird is that I remember talking with somebody who had never been homeless um, and had never had an experience of, of poverty. Um, and I was like, what's, I just asked him one day, I was like, what is a lot of money to you? <laughs> and he was like, I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, really? <laughs> In my mind, that was a hundred dollars. <laughs> and so like it, the ideas that we carry around about security and about what comf comfortable is and also what affordable means can be extremely different. And so we can think it's accessible by saying it's only a cover charge of five bucks. Whereas I remember somebody asking me when I was homeless, like they were like, ah, it's just five bucks. And I was like, no, I literally don't have that. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it was $5 or $500, unless I walk outside and happen to find a $5 bill, I don't have that. It's just not there. And that concept is very difficult to understand if you have never had $5, not like on a day, but on a regular basis. Um, even in terms of... Um, I'm also kinky, and um, I went to my first munch prior to COVID. Damn COVID! And <laughs> they were like, you know, like there's there's a there's there's a cover charge to get into a munch, but you have to you have a meal, and so you you have to take that from somewhere else. And and that's a constant kind of thing that you're that you're doing that I'm doing. I find. Yeah, like yeah. when you when you spend money, you have to realize that it's coming from someplace else, and you have to account for that in your day to day life. That's that's what you're trying to say there at the end, right? Yeah, and I guess if you have uh, an income level that is sustainable, um, you're not having to make a choice between doing a thing you want to do and meeting a basic need, and that would be the difference. Is that in doing a thing I want to do, it's going to take away from a basic need. Um, well, and that, and that plays then into, right, like, well, you want to go on a date this week or maybe three dates, and but how do you do that, right? And You don't. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you go for exactly. a walk. <laughs> you do a lot of walking. Say, you go for a walk, walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we live in a rural area as well, like on dirt road and stuff, so you have to drive half an hour to get anywhere, and that takes gas, and so that isn't actually free. That Even that, that isn't free. I can't walk outside of my house, and and that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's enlightening and eye-opening, and especially, like, I know this is a very touchy issue within, like, specifically the swinging community because a lot of, like, swinging events can get very expensive and people like oh you're gonna go to this party well you know you have to have the the costume and the this and the that and you have to get a hotel and all of these things and it can easily be a, like three four or five hundred dollar weekend to go to a party and like 
yeah, it's it can be very prohibitive and it really does kind of shape who attends these things. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. For, for yeah. Sure. yeah. Hmm. Do you have yeah, to do I, that to be swinging? Do you have to have a, I'm naked as free. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. I guess you have to get no, there you don't, and show you don't, up. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to. I will say like for Emma and me, like, <laughs> We were, <laughs> we would go what to, story the, are you gonna say? Just, just as, when just you said, as I had to admit, when you said it's touchy, I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, like for us, like a good example of this would be like, we, we had the means, but we were also super frugal and cheap. And so like, yep. there was this bar that we would go to maybe once a month for a little while that had like nights where it was, everybody knew that's where the swingers went, but it was like a $10 cover charge. Unless you got there before nine. And so like, <laughs> I'll be damned if we weren't there before nine every single time, we because like, we I'm didn't want to pay the $10. I'm not going to pay the $10. And we had the $10. So like, I get like, we, we did it as free as we could for the most part. I mean, we yep. did things, we went to desire and that's definitely not free and like <laughs> stuff like that. But like on the day to day, like the amount that we would spend to go to do something was like very low cost we would also go sometimes to like we'd go to those the bar and uh get there early so we didn't have to pay and then drink water like so, <laughs> so we're like, we, we or sparkling water we yeah. would ask for sparkling water so it was but that was like i don't know we would we would have a great night for very like the gas to get there basically or maybe one drink and so yeah. it was it there are ways to do it, but that's not the normal. That's not, not, not normal. That's not common. Well, it's just, yeah, I think in, again, there's a lot of people who do swinging and swinging related things that you don't have to go to hotel parties every weekend. You don't have to go and do lavish, expensive things, but that is one of the criticisms that comes up in the like yes. traditional swinging community is it draws a very unique crowd because, or it draws sort of a monoculture a lot of times because yeah. sometimes stuff gets really expensive. And so like, if you're going to go to a, a meet and greet or a hotel party where it's going to cost $50 to get in or a hundred dollars plus a hotel plus dinner, plus, you know, all of these things, that's, that's a really cost prohibitive thing like to do for a lot of people. And yeah. so it, it drives a unique very narrow group of people a lot of the time right yeah and there's a i don't know there's we strive to figure out how to narrow that broaden it broaden or yeah right mm -hmm. broaden that that <laughs> community and that i don't know why i said narrow because i was trying <laughs> to think of the opposite um we strive very hard to broaden that we make it try to make it and that more community. accessible. Yeah. yeah so. And you know, with Zoom and uh COVID has shown everyone in the world that virtual stuff is much more possible than I think a lot of people yep. thought originally. And now of course you have to have internet or a phone or a computer or those types of things. Um yeah. for sure. But that level I feel like that has shown that there's so much more that is accessible that can be accessible than maybe was realized previously. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the other yeah. thing, and now all of a sudden we're just over here talking away. I know. But I was just, just like thinking of something <laughs> else that it's like It's relieving. Me, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> that that like we actually did this a little bit um in COVID. Like we would do a video chat with somebody and then like if that at that point it made sense to go meet them. Like we would go and meet them in a park and go for a walk or maybe get carry out and sit at a park and eat dinner like on separate blankets. And so like we were, or we would take our own dinner and our own bottle of wine to the park and do it that way. And so like, it was, it's actually interesting thinking about like the adaptations we made because of COVID, like actually make a whole lot of sense. Like I'm going to go meet this couple with never having talked to them other than maybe like a couple of text messages. Like, well, why not have like a video conversation? And you kind of get a pretty good feel like, we are or we aren't going to like this in-person conversation is going to be much more strained than you thought. Maybe you don't go. I mean, dating in general, like it doesn't have to be couples on couples. It could just be like dating in general. Like you get to have a video call with somebody before you make that investment of actually going to meet them. And now there's, there's a different level of talking over the computer versus talking in person for sure. But you could get some sort of, uh, I guess a baseline. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know yeah. we went on tangent. We did. That I was. just think that, like, so that, just the point there that some of the adaptations we've made through COVID make a whole lot of sense and actually can help make this a more cost effective thing than. Or cost accessible? Yeah. Cost, yeah, make it more accessible. So. I think it's really interesting um, what online communities have kind of given us in terms of being able to connect with so many different people who identify with where we're at. Um, and, at and at the same time, like nothing is absolute. <laughs> it's not that those are, nothing is purely good. There's also like a danger in online communities, I think, because when we start to identify, um, you know, sort of, I guess, take non-monogamy as an example. Like, I feel like there's a stage that we go through in terms of like, um, having like an identity that's part of a a community or a group where that becomes like the forefront and the primary. And like the thing I would introduce myself is, hi, I'm, you know, Jamie, I'm polyamorous or, and, and, and for a while that becomes like the thing that you are. Um, And I've been through that in several different iterations of disability and autism and, and, and those are all parts of me, but there's nothing at the moment that I would kind of like put to the forefront, but, but that's a normal part of, of developing an identity. And it's so wonderful to be able to connect with online communities um, and be able to have like a shared experience. But then there's also kind of a thing that happens where there's always going to be, it's like a rise and a fall, right? And so there's, there's, there's going to be sort of a point of where you find that you're in some way you're different from that community. And I think because a lot of those communities are based around a one part of your identity. Um, if we sort of have a point of uh, descent or like a difference, rather than that kind of being a way of increasing the depth of the community, um, sometimes people just leave. Mm-hmm. And then I really feel like the yeah, it's almost like it takes the bottom out of the community because because we we lose out on the depth of difference that um, a lot of diff- different people could um, could bring if if we were if we were allowed 
to sort of have more diversity if if we allowed ourselves to have have more diversity. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's sort of no, something I've been thinking does. about. That's not a a formed thought. <laughs> yeah, no. no, it makes sense. Yeah, it's high on our minds. Yeah, as well. Yeah, so thank you for for bringing it up, and I mean for bringing up and talking about everything that you've talked about today. It's been a fantastic mm-hmm. conversation. Conversation, and we're so happy and excited and honored to to have it on our show. Like you, you know, you talked about like you talked about hoping that, you know, more indigenous people are able to reach out and get their stories out there. And I'm hopeful that this, that somebody else hears this and is wanting to do that as well. Um, or any other population that isn't, I mean, we have a lot of white middle-class swingers and white middle-class poly folks. And like, those are amazing, but like hearing the, the differences is just so powerful. Right. And knowing that you're heard and that you're not alone. So thank you for that. Yeah. I, uh, I have a little bit of training, not much in, um, in therapy, um, which I am not practicing right now, but one of the really cool things in listening to your show has been, you think you have to, I think many people think that we have to make a thing like a structure and a container that works and it's our responsibility to organize this so that it so that it works and it functions and after i don't know how many episodes you're at now but it's been a lot and all people do you ask really good questions like there's times when i'm just like that is such a therapy question like i know you're not therapists but you ask really good questions sometimes and it's it's really been cool to listen to and i have learned a lot about how to be present with people from listening to both of you do your thing. But all you do, and it's simple, but it's not easy, is you just let people tell their stories. And people are just so different that they will always have different things to say. It's amazing. And if you let that happen, I think the word that people are using that I've heard in many different contexts in economics and in activism, which is weird and cool is emergent Mm -hmm. and you just let people's stories emerge and what comes out of that is like you said i think before like it's just mind-blowing how and it's humbling how that just works without anybody having to control it or make it happen Mm -hmm. and that's a really cool way of doing community that not only means that there's a lot more freedom within that but it's a lot less uh, stress and and um, maybe not responsibility, but there's but it's a lot less like st- sort of stress and work for the people who are organizing it to have to take on, which means uh, you know we get less burnt out and we get to focus on the things that really matter, which are people, mm-hmm. yeah. rather than well, having to you. control yeah. the shape of the community itself or what it does and doesn't yeah. do and stuff like that. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that and for acknowledging that and that. And for being part of the community. Exactly. And for being part of the community. And that's, I mean, what you described is what we strive to do. And so, um, yeah, thank you for putting it in the way that you did. And it's a beautiful, beautiful summary of 
how we try to approach this show and, and the community. And it doesn't happen without, we say this all the time too, but it doesn't happen without people like you. And that just thank you so much for, for wanting to share and, and be a voice out there as well. Uh, It means a lot. And for all of the incredible conversation we've had this morning. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Is there, is there anything else I was just gonna say, is there well, yes. anything else that we that we haven't that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about before we let you go and have a have a wonderful day? I wanted to throw some names out there of people who don't necessarily speak to non-monogamy in particular, but they are voices that I think we should listen to, um, and they're indigenous, primarily indigenous. Um, uh, uh, women and non-binary people. Um, and I can, I can give them to you as well, uh, to put somewhere. Yeah. We'll put them in the show notes for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, my auntie Marilyn is the first one, but you can't just call her up because she's busy. (laughs) She's got, (laughs) I wish the world could hear, (laughs) but, um, uh, uh, Kim Talbear is is the first, uh, absolutely the first one, um, and she, like I said, has a book called Native American Belonging, um, and she blogs at uh, Critical Polly and also at Kim Talbear. Um, Grace Dillon is this amazing person that I don't feel like enough people have heard of, and and she actually coined the term Indigenous Futurisms. And I remember coming home to Jarrett one time and I was like, there's somebody talking about all of this and she's weird and she's a nerd and she's amazing. And she coined the term indigenous futurisms. And wow, like the cutting edge is in science fiction. And he, as a Star Wars fan, was like, no. And I was like, (laughs) yes. So (laughs) Grace Dillon is amazing and everybody should listen to her. Um, Diane Millian, um, Diane without an E, has just been really... Uh, transformative, as has somebody named uh, Dr. Leroy Littlebear, um, who's a Blackfoot physicist, and uh, he he wrote something called Jagged Worldviews Colliding. If you want to look it up, but anything he's ever written, it, it's uh, it's amazing, um, as well as um, some sort of uh, Lee Miracle. Um, uh, her work is really is really powerful. Um, and uh, Christos and Jeanette Armstrong are two kind of uh, people who've been around for a long time doing really amazing work um, that need to be read more widely. Uh, Christos is a poet. Uh, Jeanette Armstrong is a writer and organizer. Um, Leanne Simpson um, wrote this amazing book. She's written many books called Islands of Decolonial Love. And uh, it talks about it talks about what it's like and what it can be like to be in kind of all our relations all our relations in loving ways um as well as a uh an artist and writer um named Tanya Tagak who i think also like thinks beyond the boundaries uh in a in 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 a lot of really pivotal and important ways and so there might not be at this point in time maybe there will be uh, people who are specifically talking about non-monogamy, but there are a lot of people writing and thinking and and arting <laughs> in in ways that 
that make that something that's completely possible and normal to think about. And that's just as important as talking about non-monogamy specifically, I think, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you for that list. Um, Yes, that's amazing. links to anybody that you just mentioned and and names will be in our show notes. Um, So thank you for that. And just, yeah, I'm just so excited. (laughs) I know I am too. Like there's this, is just, yeah, it's been an incredible conversation. And uh, I want to make sure too, is there anything else that you wanted to share? <laughs> I want to make sure that you get everything out there. Uh, that, I mean, of course, we'd love to have you back in the future. So you're always, there's a standing invitation to always come back. But uh, just that I think it's really important to play and have fun. And I think that as grownups, we've lost a lot of that. And I think part of that little squee of happiness that we get when we think about getting to like, you know, do all the wonderful things that we do and what it is that we do. Um, I think a lot of that is about having fun and enjoying ourselves and kind of rediscovering the fluidity of kids associationships with each other when they're on the playground and stuff. And that's so important. And it's so important that it not get lost in the seriousness and the importance of, of doing that is just is having fun. And that's, that's also really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a beautiful place to, to end. Uh, we agree with you a hundred percent. Having fun and enjoying life is incredibly important and is easy to sometimes get lost to in the seriousness of everything else going on in life. And it's important to come back and reflect and remember and remind yourself that it's okay to have fun and it's important to have fun and, and enjoy yep. your life. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you, Jamie, for reaching out, for coming on, for being a part of, you're a part of the Patreon community. You've been to some of the meet and greets and just for being in our orbit and letting us into yours, um, especially your new one. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Um, and I guess have a have a fantastic day and we'll talk soon yes thank you so much and we're back thank you so much Jamie for being willing to come on the show and being vulnerable and sharing your story it was wonderful to talk to you and we're so excited to get this out into the world as well as all the resources that you've sent us so Jamie as I mentioned in the intro Jamie sent us a handful of uh, resources by indigenous people about non-monogamy they're amazing so go to our website and click on Jamie's episode to see the list there and go check them out and stay tuned we actually have an interview scheduled with Jamie partner Jarrett. We do. So if you're like, I need more, well, you got more coming. You do. It's exciting. So we're excited to that uh, for that. We can't wait to talk to you, Jarrett. And yeah, again, thank you, Jamie. Yes. One more quick reminder and huge thank you again to the Patreon supporters out there. We are so grateful for your support and for the community you've helped us build. Again, we've got Uh, the women's call coming up tonight. The men's call will be, there's another one in July. You just missed it. It was earlier this week. And our monthly Q&As will be tomorrow, June 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern and again, 9 p.m. Pacific. Yes. I think that's all. And if you wanted, if you haven't yet joined the MeWe chat, definitely do that. Um, There's so much going on in there. Everybody's 
supporting each other. And I don't know. It's awesome. It's super exciting. Again, our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. I say it so many times, but you can't you can't forget it. So no. uh, you can find the Contact Us page, all the show notes, everything Finn just said, and the Patreon information. So go check it out. Next week, we have a interview with Kelly. You're not going to want to miss this one. So come back in a week and listen. Yeah. Is we, that it? That's it. That's all of it. Okay, then bye everyone. Thanks for listening.